So we're going to get started with the word today on the uh, sermon that I've entitled New Wineskins. And uh, that may be uh, a different term for many of you, uh, talking about wineskins, new wineskins. But we're going to see what exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, we're going to be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. And if you're ready, we'll begin reading. The word of God, which says, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into the old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Amen. You know, this particular passage here, I... For the longest time, I didn't really understand it in, in its entirety. Uh, I couldn't put together how, you know, Jesus, it begins with the disciples of John asking Jesus a question about fasting. And then it, the continuing verses, uh, 15, 16, and 17, seem to have absolutely nothing in connection with what that question was. And uh, so I couldn't quite understand wh where, why it went from one direction to a totally different direction. So it seemed like to me that's what was happening. I didn't understand it. And I was, uh, as I was studying the word to bring the sermon for today, uh, the Holy Spirit yeah, began to reveal some more truth in this. And that's how the word of God is. The more we begin to read it and study it, the more the Holy Spirit opens it up and begins to reveal to us truths behind uh, what his word says. And I'm, I'm, I'm praying that today's word will be a blessing to you. And uh, so as I was, like I said, I read this and um, I came to understand that this whole conversation here that is taking place is in reference to John the Baptist. Okay, so the disciples of John the Baptist, they understood that, uh, that John the Baptist was, was, he was the forerunner for the Messiah. That he was the one who was supposed to come before the Messiah. And because of this, they didn't think that there was a difference between them and the disciples of Jesus. In other words, if John the Baptist was the forerunner of, of the Messiah, if he came you know, before him, that means there, there was some type of co commonality there, right? So the disciples, they just assumed that, well, then we as disciples of John and the disciples of Jesus, we are the same. There's a commonality between this. So they assumed that there was that common ground. They had to have some type of common ground there. So because of that, uh, that's why they asked Jesus, Jesus, we're fasting and we're the disciples of John, but your disciples are not fasting. Why are your disciples not fasting? And then to, to add to it, they also say, then you have the Pharisees who also fasted often. They fasted regularly twice a week. This was um, the established custom of the land so for, for them to, to do that. And it looks like John the Baptist 
uh, did not seem to change it. Why? Because the, his disciples were fasting at the same time that the Pharisees were fasting. So they're saying, look, they fast, we're fasting. What's going on with your disciples? Why are they not fasting? So they wanted to know, so what's going on, Jesus? Why are you changing this? Why are you not doing what the custom is, what the tradition is, what we have been accustomed to do? Uh, so, and also, this, so this was actually the question that they're asking. That's what they're really saying, right? So at the same time, we have to remember that during this time when they're asking Jesus this question, um, they also, what they're also doing, it's, it's possible that this was the time that John the Baptist was in prison. Uh, John was in prison, and being in prison, then John's disciples were probably, uh, because of this, already in deep grief on account of it. So, which is why they were fasting. Why? Because fasting is, uh, uh, was the natural expression of sorrow. And, uh, and they wondered why the disciples of Jesus did not join with them in grieving the imprisonment of John the Baptist. Come on. They're, they're thinking, look, this is your, the forerunner. This is the one who baptized you, Jesus. So he's in prison now. Why are you the disciples? None of you are fasting. Does this not affect you in any way? Why are you not you know, being affected by this? So that was the question that was going on in, in, in verse 14, the whole thing. And then it seems like it totally shifts when you go to verse 15 because he begins to give uh, a different illustration. He's talking about something else. But in actuality, Jesus answers their question with three illustrations. Verse 15, 16, and 17, each one of those verses is a different illustration. And each one of them, Jesus is answering the first question that they're asking about the fasting. All of them are meant to establish something, though. They're meant to establish the same thing, which is uh, that they should observe uh, a fitness and a propriety in things. That is, uh, uh, in other words, they should observe what is proper, what is suitable, what is appropriate in things. And that's what he's bringing across. These three illustrations is he's answering their question, but by establishing this, he's letting them know, look, there's a reason for it. Because uh, one, it has to be proper, suitable, and appropriate. There has to be a propriety in this. So he begins to answer this question, and he's, with verse first, uh, 15 is the first illustration, and it's taken from a marriage. Jesus begins to tell them, uh, he says, uh, talking about the groomsmen is what he begins to talk about. In verse 15, he says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. So that's his first illustration, right? So the groomsmen here, or, or the men who had the special care of the bridal chamber of being with the, gro with the groom, and, and, and therefore they were considered the special friends of the groom, right? So then, if they're considered the special uh, friends of the, uh, of the groom, um, they're not thinking of fasting, you know, because that, that's not a time of, uh, to be fasting, right? Uh, they're not thinking of fasting while the bridegroom is with them. Why? Because the groomsmen, this is a time of festivity, of joy, of celebrating, right? All of this, of rejoicing, that's what is the type of time. It's not a time for being in sorrow uh, by fasting, that would not be appropriate, which is, that's what Jesus is trying to say. Remember, all things, what is appropriate, he's trying to teach them. What is suitable, what is, yeah, that's what he's trying to teach them. So he's telling them, look, that would not be appropriate for them to be in sorrow when it's a time of rejoicing. But then he says, but when he is removed, when the groom is removed or taken away, then 
their festivity and will be ended, then it will be the proper time for them to be sad. Once again, Jesus is talking about what? Propriety. He's telling them the, when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate, when, when it's the proper time, when it's not the proper time. That's what Jesus is telling them. Jesus is telling John's disciples, look, your friend or your teacher, um, John the Baptist, he's in prison. And for you, that is a time of grief. For you, I understand for you to be a sorrow. It, and it is appropriate that you should fast. But for me, what Jesus is saying, for me, it's different. For me and my disciples, right now, it's not a time of sorrow. It's a time of joy for them. Why? Because I'm with them. Jesus is saying, I'm with my disciples. It's a time for them to be joyful. It is not suitable that they should be grieving right now. The fasting and fasting, but rather he's saying, when I am taken away, when I'm no longer here, then it will be proper that they should fast, but not now. He's saying this is a joyous time, not a season for fasting, which is a sign of sorrow. Now, we have to understand that everything that Jesus does has spiritual applications to it. So, uh, Jesus is telling the disciples of John this, but we have to understand what this means for us, spiritually speaking, is that, you know, Jesus is not here on the earth anymore physically, like when he was, when he was walking the earth with the disciples, uh, so the, which means he has been taken, which means for us, uh, his groomsmen, for us, if you want to call us that, it is a time now for us to be fasting. It is a time now for us to do that. Why? Because that's what, that what is appropriate and proper and suitable for us to do. Why? Because we should be doing these things right now. That's what Jesus said. You read the word and you find out that prayer and fasting is part of what we are supposed to be doing during these days in order to accomplish the will and the purposes of God in our life and through our life. So then we have to see what is proper. So we go on to the second illustration, which is in verse 16, which says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. So the second illustration was drawn from a well-known fact. They all knew about this. It was a well-known fact, showing also that also this verse was a propriety or fitness of things. He says, none of you sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. He tells them that they know about this. Why? For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. This would be a waste of it, right? That's what he's telling them. The old piece or a piece like the garment would be better. The word new in some versions, it's, it's used here, it's, it's, a, it's called new patch. Really, uh, when it translates, it translates to unshrunk. It translates to rude, undressed, or not fooled by the cloth dresser. What that means is that uh, it has to undergo a work from the cloth dresser for it to be of use. Now, we, we have to understand um, what I'm saying here. It has to be... Uh, worked on to be of use. And we, we will see that the spiritual application for us is the same thing. You see, um, when the cloth is, is in this state of being unshrunk, of being new, and if, if it is applied to an old garment, especially if this patch is wet, it's going to contract. 
it's going to, to decrease in size, and because of that, it's going to draw off a part of the garment to which it was attached, and it's going to make the tear worse than it was. So that, that's why that is not done. Now, the spiritual application to this, looking at this, Jesus, because remember, Jesus always had a spiritual truth to reveal when he spoke in parables. So when Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is that his new doctrines or teachings do not match with the old rites of the Pharisees. They're, they're two different things. They don't go together. Jesus is letting them know that there is a fitness of things. Once again, there is a propriety of things, an observing of what is proper, suitable, and appropriate in things. You don't do that because it makes no sense. It's going to tear. That's what he was telling them. So spiritually speaking, he's saying their doctrines, talking about the Pharisees, the Pharisees' doctrines require much fasting. He's telling them. But Jesus is saying, but in my system... Jesus came to and totally overthrew everything. He, he completely turned all the traditions upside down. He came to, to, to tell them something totally different, their doctrines and teachings. He says, in my system, it would be incongruous to do that. Uh, in other words, it would be not in harmony with the doctrines. It would be not in harmony with the doctrines. And if my doctrines were to be attached to their old ones, he's saying, if you were to try and attach them, it would only make the matter worse. That's what Jesus is trying to say. If you try to get their old ones with the new ones that I'm bringing and put them together, it's going to make it worse. Just like the cloth. It's going to tear. It's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. It's going to make it worse. Do you see? Why? Because we have to understand what Jesus came to do. When Jesus came and he came preaching, he came preaching something totally new. The news that Jesus brought, the good news Jesus was bringing was new. It had never been preached before. It was totally new to everybody. Why? It was a new idea of God as Father. It was a new idea not only as God as Father, but as God as giver. And this blew them away. They, they, they couldn't understand where he was coming from. He came teaching about the kingdom of God. They, they, they didn't understand this. Why? Because to them, kingdom had to do with law. Jesus didn't come. Uh, rather than bringing law, what Jesus did when he came preaching about the kingdom, he came preaching that in this kingdom, instead of law, there's love. It totally turned everything around. They couldn't comprehend. That's why Jesus is giving them this illustration. He's trying to teach them something in the middle of this. Jesus taught a new way of life. He thought uh, this new gospel of Jesus could not be attached to their old religious views, their old religious ways. It was something totally different. What he was teaching couldn't be attached to that religious views. So then Christianity uh, is the same thing for us. Christianity is not a sect of, of Judaism or of any other religion. Christianity uh, cannot be judged according to those rules. Why? Because Jesus, remember, his way of, of doing things is totally goes contrary. It is contrary. All of his teachings, he that wants to be greatest has to be the least. You know, uh, he that wants to be first has to be last. Jesus came and turned everything upside down. You see, and, and they couldn't understand that. So Jesus is trying to teach them something. There is a appropriate and appropriate thing of doing things, something that is suitable, and that's what he's trying to teach them. And then he goes on to the third illustration. In the third illustration, it says, Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. 
So wherever you are right now, just say new wineskins. Because that's what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking, and, and I'm going to cover this a little bit more, new wineskins. You see, the third illustration was taken from, from the wine that uh, put into new wineskins. Jesus, everything he talks about was always something they would understand. So he's talking to them about the new wineskins. These new wineskins, we can call them bottles or vessels or, uh, you know, the, the, so these bottles uh, in Eastern nations uh, were made and are still made of skins of animals. These wineskins, that's what they're made of. Generally, the skin was taken entirely from a sheep or a goat and, the and, and, and uh, completely, in other words, the entire shape of the sheep or the goat, whatever it was, that it was taken from, that became the wineskin. That, be, that, that became the bottle, the vessel. It was taken entirely from that. And after it was being properly prepared, it was filled with either wine or water. Uh, and I'm going to just uh, a little bit give you an idea of how they made these. The making of the skin bottles was done as soon as the animal was killed. As soon as it was killed, whether it was a goat or a sheep, whatever it was. Um, and it, when it was killed, an opening was made in the skin, and just large enough for the lips of a man, and then uh, uh, what he would do, a man begins to blow between the skin and between the flesh until the two are completely separated. The, the, the skin separates from, from the flesh of the animal, and when they're separate, separated from each other completely throughout, that's what they do. And once that is done, then the head is cut off from the animal and the feet are cut off. And the entire body of the animal is drawn out of its skin through the opening of the neck. So you have a complete shape of the animal with the only holes being the feet and the neck is, is, is what they would do. And the hair was sometimes uh, partially removed and the skin was tanned. In Persia, the skins are saturated with pitch, which is like a tar. Uh, the opening of the neck then became, uh, th that's what was used for filling and emptying the vessel, okay? While the four feet are tied together and sewed up so there wouldn't be any leaks. The grape juice then, okay, the grape juice, and, and, and I'm being specific in everything that I'm saying so that we understand what, where I'm going to. The grape juice, which is to undergo the process of fermentation, because they put in grape juice in it, uh, it has to go through the process of fermentation is put into the skins, and uh, which are either entirely new. It has to be. Uh, the grape juice is put in there into these new bottles because they're entirely new, or they have to be carefully examined and found able to withstand the pressure because they go through the process of fermentation once that is put in them. So then, um, I read in, in one of the commentaries that these bottles are still used, even today, uh, because in crossing deserts of sand, uh, they have no other conveyances of transporting or transporting means other than by camel or, or other, some other beast of burden. Uh, so it would be difficult for them to carry, these animals to carry glass bottles or kegs on them, so that this is what they use. Uh, they therefore fill the two skins, fasten them together, and lay them across the back of a camel and carry the wine or the water uh, in a great distance throughout the desert. These bottles were, of course, of different sizes because it depends on the skins of what animal was used. If it was a goat, if it was an oxen, a sheep. But, but what happens is by long usage, 
The more they used it, the longer they used it, something begins to happen to the skin, the longer it's being used. The uses the bottles, the skins, they become tender. And as they become tender, they would easily rupture. So that's why Jesus was telling them, you don't put new wine in the old ones because they've already become tendered and they're easily ruptured. They break. The new wine then has to be put into, into new skins. New wine put into them because if, they, if you put them in the old ones, the new wine put into them will ferment. It's going to go through fermentation. It's going to swell and it's going to burst the bottles wide open. It won't hold it. So new skins or new bottles would, would yield to the ferment, for, uh, fermentation, to the fermenting of the wine. It's going to yield to that and be strong enough to hold it from bursting. So you see? So old bottles would decay, they would wax old, and they would become unfit for use. Okay, so I said all of this in the natural because I want you to understand the, applica the spiritual application to this that we're going to be talking about. Okay, because there is a spiritual application to this. You see, Jesus, much like in the second illustration, is revealing that it is not fit that my doctrine should be attached to or connected with the old and corrupt doctrines of the Pharisees and the scribes. It can't go together. So he's telling them in this third illustration, new things should be put together with new things. New things should be put together and made to match. So if you have new wineskins, it's because it requires new wine. New with new. You can't mix the new with the old. It is not. So I say this because, look, it, not every person, not every soul is capable of receiving You see, depending on where they are, they, they may, uh, there is a new law, a new spiritual law. There is something new that God wants to do in every person, but it can't be done until that person is new. Okay, so something has to take place. You see, the new wine of Christianity requires new vessels to contain it. Okay, so in other words, we're talking about new wineskins. In order to contain... To contain what God wants to put in us, we have to be new. We have to become a new vessel, something new. You see, it, why? Because it is sinners that Jesus renews by his spirit and grace. The old, if we look at the old wineskins, the old wineskins Jesus meant, by old wineskins Jesus meant the carnal heart. Is what he's talking about. The carnal heart cannot We're talking about spiritually now. The carnal heart cannot receive the things of God. Why? It's a carnal heart. It can't receive it. It can't hold it. It's, so the new, the, now the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, they can be signified by these old wineskins also. But I want you to know that every person born is the same. They're old wineskins. Every person born is an old wineskin, so to speak, Why? Because they have an old nature that cannot contain what God wants to do in their lives. They can't contain it yet. Their nature has to change. Something has to happen. They have to become new in some way that this newness can then be able to contain what God wants to do in their lives. So then, uh, so then uh, the, 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 these old wineskins, every person born then um, from these old wineskins uh, has to be regenerated there has to be a regeneration they has to be regenerated and renewed in their spirit 
in whom the, uh, the old man was predominant before. The old nature has always dominated since the time we are born. So then something has to happen. What has to happen? There has to be a regeneration and a renewal that has to take place. We have to become new wineskins to be able to contain the new wine that God wants to put. Okay? So then uh, those, those who hear the gospel and those who reject it uh, are like old wineskins that break. Why? Because they can't contain it. They reject it. They can't contain it. And the wine runs out and the bottles perish. So the love of God, the gospel, the good news, the blessings of it are not received and they're not retained. They can't hold it. They reject it. See, old wineskins are compared to a carnal heart. And the reason for that, there's reasons for that. Because uh, a wineskin is a proper receptacle of wine. That's here's the first reason. Just like a, a wineskin is a proper receptacle for wine, then the heart of a man is also the proper receptacle for receiving Jesus, for receiving divine knowledge, for receiving grace, love, joy, the Spirit of God. That's what the heart is. That's the proper receptacle for it. So it's also a carnal heart is compared to that because a, a bottle of itself is an empty vessel. And it, it, because it's empty, then it must be filled has to be filled with something. Likewise, the heart of man, a carnal heart, is naturally empty of God. It's naturally empty of God's grace, of God's love, of God's spirit. It's empty, and it needs to be filled. You see, and the third reason is because a broken bottle cannot hold new wine. Why? It'll leak out. It can't hold it. And, and, and neither can an unrenewed heart. It cannot hold Saving peace or joy or love or the Holy Spirit. It can't hold it. So then, something has to happen. It has to be a new wineskin. has to be new. So they, Jesus says, so they put wine into new bottles. Why? Because that way both are preserved. The wine is preserved and so is the, the vessel that it's put in. You see, by new wineskins are meant here people, what he meant here are people who Christ calls by his grace and by his spirit. Uh, and he regenerates them and renews them is what he does. These people are made new creatures in Christ and they have new hearts. They have new spirits uh, and new principles of, of, of light, of life are given to them, of love, of faith, of holiness. They're implanted in them. All of this happens. You see, that can't happen if it's still a carnal heart. It has to be changed. So they have, what happens is, 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 is when the Holy Spirit does bring this change, they, 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 we have uh, uh, new eyes to see, new ears to hear, spiritually speaking. It is these new wineskins that the love of God can be manifest, manifested in, and the love of God can be shed abroad in their hearts. So here's the question then. How does one become a new wineskin? If you have to be a new wineskin to be able to contain what God wants to pour into the life, how do you become a new wineskin? That is able to hold all this new wine of the presence of God. And the answer we, I talked about a little bit earlier is through two major things that the Holy Spirit does in a person's life. Two major things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. And those two things are regeneration and renewal. And for a lot of people that may be a, a, a word different than what you're used to hearing in, in, in theology. But 
let's talk about regeneration here for a little bit. Regeneration means reproduction. Regeneration means the act of producing anew. It means a new birth by the grace of God. So uh, it, it refers to the new birth, which is a product of a new life consecrated to God. That's what regeneration is. It is the change by which the will of man and the natural uh, enmity or hostility, hostility of man towards God is changed. And uh, even, even hostility towards his laws. They're brought under control, under subjection, and they're subdued. And instead, what happens is that a new principle of love of God and, and, and God's laws are implanted in the heart. What, what does all this mean? It means rebirth. It means rebirth. You see, we, we as, as, as Christians, we use the, this terminology a lot and we say, born again, have you been born again? What they're saying is regeneration. Has a regeneration taken place in you? This new birth, being born again, that's what this is talking about. A regeneration means rebirth, being born again, being made new. You, that, that's what this is talking about. Regeneration comes through the Holy Spirit and you are born again. Hallelujah. That's the only way you become a new wineskin, a new creature. You become new. That's the only way. That's the only way to contain what God wants to give, what God wants to put in you, His Son. You see, uh, but it doesn't end there. Regeneration comes through the Holy Spirit when you're born again. However, that's just the beginning. However, the Holy Spirit continues to work. He continues to work in your life by renewing, by changing, and by conforming your thoughts, your will, your emotions, and desires to the will of God. He changes all of that. It is through the Holy Spirit that you are continually being renewed and transformed. You see, it's a two process. The first one, you're regenerated, you're born again. But the second one is a renewal, something that is continuing. It's a continuous change in your life after you're born again. How do we know that? Look, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul said, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove, approve what it, God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, the Apostle Paul, he knew even though you've been regenerated, even though you've been uh, born again and you have a new life, but this new life, a change has to begin to happen. There has to be a change in you. And you do that by renewing your mind, your heart. Your, every, it's got to be renewed. And the only way it's renewed is through the Holy Spirit. This renewal is not accomplished by your own power, but by the Holy Spirit who lives in you. See, that's the only way. Now, talking about regeneration, the Apostle Paul in, in, in Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he talked about this a little bit. He said, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth that's another word regeneration and renewal by the holy spirit whom he poured out on us generously through jesus christ our savior here's what jesus was saying when he was answering the question of the disciples what he was saying is that remember there has to be a a, 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 a 
It has to be suitable and appropriate and proper in things that we do. Everything has to follow, uh, uh, if it will, uh, uh, not a pattern, but a manner in, in the way things are done. Jesus here, the Apostle Paul here is saying, look, we did not get saved. We cannot get saved because of righteous things we've done. That's basically what Jesus uh, was trying to say. Look, it's not going to happen because of what we do. It doesn't matter how good your works are, how righteous you think they may be. That's not what's going to get you saved. That's not what's going to get you to heaven. That's not the way it works. That's not appropriate. That's not suitable. There has to be a variety in this. What is it? There has to be something different. Something has to happen. And, and the, that's why the Apostle Paul said, it's by his mercy, because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth, regeneration. There's that word again. Through regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So the, the Apostle Paul was telling him, look, the only way is that you've got to be born again. That's the only way you get to heaven, be born again. But it doesn't end there. He says both. Not, o- not only born again, but after you're born again, after you accept Jesus into your life, something else has to happen. There has to be a renewal by the Holy Spirit. You see, your life doesn't change just uh, automatically. You've got to renew it. You've got to do something to change and renew your life. It's a day-to-day process. That's why in, in Romans we read that you do it, you transform by the renewing of your mind. You've got to do it. This renewal is not accomplished by your own power. But by the Holy Spirit as you continually yield and submit yourself to him. You see, all your works are insufficient. That's not going to do it. It is only by the work of the Holy Spirit that you are renewed. The Holy Spirit works within you, not just to change your old carnal nature, but he works within you uh, to, to produce a new nature that is created in the image of God. He cre- you see, God creates new wineskins. You've got to see, when I told you in the natural, remember, the new wineskins, they pour grape juice in them, and that grape juice undergoes fermentation. It has to get fermented. When it gets fermented, uh, it, it swells up as it's fermenting. So the wineskin has to be able to hold that so that it doesn't burst. So that's what God did. Through regeneration, through a new birth, our carnal heart was changed. We got a new heart that's able to contain the Holy Spirit in our lives. Otherwise, we would burst. We couldn't. We needed this. We needed to be regenerated. We had to become a new person, that new birth. But it didn't end there. Just like the grape juice that's put in those uh, wineskins, it undergoes a process. Likewise, in our life, you see, the grape juice has to go through a process of uh, fermentation to become wine, to become usable. Likewise, when we receive Jesus in our lives, that regeneration took place, but there has to be a renewal, a process in our lives. Something has to get to take, uh, if I could use the same word, we've, we have to get fermented on the inside. There has to be a fermentation process taking place in our lives that brings about change. Why? Because that change that's going to take place is what's going to make us useful for him. That's the only way we become useful. We have to let the Holy Spirit change us transform us even our desire our will everything that's the only way we become useful for the master's use that renewal has got to take place in our lives 
Yes, we do become new creatures. We become new wineskins. And that goes in accordance with 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We become new creatures through him. New wineskins, new vessels, whatever you would like to call it. A new person. The carnal heart is taken out. A new one is put in. The presence of the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in our hearts. And the process begins. But we have to be willing to submit and humble ourselves to his leading and his prompting. And I'm going to conclude with this. You see, God wants to make you a new wineskin. That is able to contain the new wine. That's what he wants to do in your life. His very presence in you. Can you imagine that? His very presence in you. No wonder the, the old nature can't handle that. Poof. We'd, we'd blow. We can't. We have to be made new creatures in Christ Jesus. As, we, as you continue to yield to the Holy Spirit, he continues to renew you more and more and more. And, and, and I want to tell you, some of you may be thinking, but you don't know my past. I got a terrible past. How can, how can God do anything with me? How can he renew me? You see, it does not matter what your past may be like. Regardless of your past, you can rejoice today that your past is gone. Now everything has been made new. Hallelujah. You've just got to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to renew you more and more every day. Hallelujah. You see, through the working of the Holy Spirit, you are now a new creation, a new wineskin, a new vessel. And you're created in the image of God, and in you dwells the Holy Spirit. So there's so much truth in what Jesus was saying when he gave those three illustrations. Samuel, look, it's got to be done when it's supposed to be done. In other words, it's not by works. If you want to get to heaven, it can be done. But the appropriate way to do it is through Him. You see, I don't know your situation. I don't know if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never undergone the process of regeneration. You've never been born again. You don't have a new life. But I want to tell you today that you can. You can be born again. You can have a, a new life. Let that regeneration take place so that you become a vessel, a new wineskin that's able to contain the Holy Spirit. And then you let allow the Holy Spirit to begin to change you, renew you day by day. And you, till you become, you, you are formed more and more into His likeness. It's a process. I want to pray for you, for those who have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I also want to pray for those who have been born again, but your life has stalled. You've stopped growing, changing, because you haven't submitted to the Holy Spirit. You've not allowed His will. You still want to do things your way. It's time that you submit and allow him to do what he needs to do in your life so that change can take place. There has to be a renewal day by day. 
You see, we can't, in the days that we're living in, we can't play church anymore. You can't be in the gray areas anymore. It's either black or white, hot or cold. So if you're going to make a decision for Jesus, go all the way. Go all the way. And submit to his lordship, submit to his will. And let the process of renewal take place in your life. I want you to pray with me and repeat after me if you are making this prayer for the first time of being born again, of accepting Jesus. And say, Father, I just come before you. I confess my sin to you and I repent of it. I ask that you forgive me of all of my sins. Cleanse me. I've heard today that I need to be born again. So I'm asking you, let there be a rebirth in me. I want to be born again. I invite you into my heart, Jesus. Change my carnal heart into one that's able to contain the presence of the Holy Spirit. Change me. I accept you into my life, into my heart as my Lord, as my Savior. And I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. And now that I've done that, Lord, I pray that the renewal will begin in my life. And for everybody else who is in this place where you've stopped growing and you want this renewal, I pray for you as well right now. And just say, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that they come to a place where they submit to your will. I pray that they come to a place, Lord God, where they no longer are living according to their own will or desires, but that they come to a full understanding that they must submit to you and follow you so that a true renewal can take place, a change can take place, so that there can be a change in their lives day to day as they follow you, Holy Spirit. And this change in their lives will not only just change them and transform them, but Lord, it'll have an effect on those around them on every other person that they come in contact with, that they can see that there is a change in them. Let this change be seen and known, Father God. Holy Spirit, work in their lives. Bring that fermentation within them until they become vessels that are apt for your use. Vessels that you are able to use for your glory. Vessels that you, Master, can use in fulfilling and completing your will and your purposes in their lives and through their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.